Are you ready to learn the business skills you need to accelerate your career? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business is now offering its highly ranked working professional MBA entirely online. Whether you choose to attend on campus, online, or a mix of both, you're in control, balancing the demands on your busy schedule. Don't wait. Start your personalized MBA journey this fall. Visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA to learn more and apply. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. Welcome one, welcome all to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. My name is Lance Brozdowski. This is not the voice of Ralph Lifshitz. I think I've been doing this with Ralph for about just over a year, and I don't think I've introed one of these pods. I've always handed the reins over to him, even if maybe I've done more of the hosting. So this is an absolute honor, and I'm joined not by Ralph, but by Jason Waddell of Prospects Live, good friend of the crew as always. And we are going to hash through uh, the news of the day, which is going to circle around Jed Lowry in particular and some of the prospect implications that has on the Mets guys like Peter Alonso and Andres Jimenez. And then we're going to dig into um, a kind of a top 100 high-level debate. We're not going to probably give away too many specific ranks, maybe give around some areas of guys, but just talk through top 100 that we're working through for prospectslive.com. Those are going to come out next week. We're doing a massive aggregated rank between all of us. We each are ranking about 100 to 125 guys and uh, – it's been a lot of fun. I know it's been laborious for a lot of us, but uh, it's it's a blast. And I really wanted to talk through a couple things with Jason on this because his list is probably one of the more solidified right now. It sounds like JP, who's another individual over on Prospects Live, Jason Panini, has also gone pretty far through his lift. I know I'm sure Ralph's done with his. I'm sure he's doing it on the road right now or something. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, thanks for joining us as always. Razzball at Razzball, Razzball.com. Powered by Prospects Live at Prospects Live, ProspectsLive.com. I'm at Lance Braz on Twitter. And Jason, how you doing, man? You're Jason at the game on Twitter. Um, long night. You had another pod before this, man. How did that one go? Well, you know, JP and I spent an hour and a half just kind of like talking about our list to find out, you know, like we trying to talk each other off the ledge. 
<laughs> on some guys, uh, either on the ledge for some or off. Uh, by the way, congrats on your first time doing an intro for Rasball. That's pretty ex- I, I'm excited cool, for right? you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not this even is an Ralph, exciting yeah. time. <laughs> Maybe I have done one. Maybe my memory is just foggy. I'm not sure. I don't think I have, though. So that was a, that was a big moment. I hope I hit that on the nail. Nail on the head. I think it sounded good. It sounded very radio, radio-ish. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like. That's what I like. Let's get into this Lowry uh, signing by the Mets. Um, they're pulling the kind of 2017-2018 Dodgers uh, book here, so to speak, and signing a lot of talent, having a lot of depth to the point where they probably have too many guys for positions. And, uh, you know, the biggest implication here, as this is a prospect podcast, we always like to look at the fantasy angle. Um, the interesting thing here is that it might affect Peter Alonzo a little bit. So Peter Alonzo going to the back half of a lot of redraft leagues right now, and I know he's a guy a lot of people have targeted. Unbelievable showing in terms of exit velocities down in the Arizona Fall League. We had our very own JP down there and confirmed a lot of those. Some of those were sitting in the 115-ish exit velocity range, which I believe is top 25 um, percentile in Major League Baseball if he was to be present day, and those were to be recorded at the Major League level, but they were not. But regardless, he's kind of one of these upside first baseman guys that's going in a lot of leagues, and a lot of people have targeted. We're not really sure what the upside is. It probably is going to settle around maybe like a 250 average, maybe a little bit lower with some strikeouts, but the power is going to be there. It's considerable. He can hit fastballs well. Um, This is interesting because Jed Lowry played the majority of his career in the last two seasons particularly at third base, which means that if the Mets have any intention of moving Frazier to first base part-time, then that pushes out some of the playing time for Peter Alonso potentially. Whereas pre this signing, it was looked like it was going to be Frazier at third and Alonzo with the shot to make the team out uh, out of spring and play first base. So off the top of my head, you know, I, I guess it's a slight stock down, Jason, but I'm not 100% sure of that. It seems like it's one of those things where it might just be a uh, every other day kind of thing where he still kind of ends up maybe with 100 games played and around 500 plate appearances or something like that. But uh, it just may come in a little bit wonkier of a fashion. So all those weekly lock leagues are probably going to be a little messed up with Peter Alonso at bats. Um, do you consider this stock down, stock up, or stock neutral, Jason? I think it's stock neutral. I think that this move <clears throat> is – I think this move has nothing to do with Peter Alonso because if Peter Alonso comes out and hits – uh, the way that he has for the last season and a half, uh, Peter Alonso is going to win that first base job. Mm-hmm. I, I had thought that, you know, because the Mets were looking for a right-handed power bat, and they say that they found it in, in, in Ramos. Not really. They, what they really need is Cespedes. <clears throat> but without that big right-handed thumper, um, that lineup's going to be exposed. I mean, so... It's to me. It it doesn't affect Alonzo. What it allows you to do, though, is it definitely allows you to keep him down a couple months, mm, right? Cool. You know, these guys were, were the, the Mets are going to uh, contend this year. So, um, you know, we didn't think that going into the off season. You know, they were talking about trading Degrom and Syndergaard, and they went from sellers, you know, to buyers. Just you know, as soon as BVW took over, for me. What Lowry's ultimate role is, I think, where, the time he's going to cut into is, is guys like Jeff McNeil. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it, Jeff McNeil is going to be the, the one that feels the squeeze here. Uh, now, Frazier could play first. Frazier could get DFA'd. Um, Cano can also play first. Uh, but one thing that Lowry can do that ne- neither McNeil nor Cano or Frazier can do, or J.D. Davis is he can cover shortstop. So now you basically have Ahmed Rosario insurance uh, 
going into a season which you're now a contender. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. I don't think I think Rosario's going to have a long leash. Don't get me wrong. But now you have a shortstop on the 25 man, a backup shortstop on the 25 man roster, and you didn't have that before. And to bring in a guy like Lowry, who, I mean, he's just been a monster at the plate the last couple of seasons, and and it was just a low key fantasy beast out in Oakland. Um, I think this is a big win for the Mets. It just lengthens that lineup, and it just covers you know a, a lot of these holes and. I think Alonzo's too good to where it affects him. So, you know, they, there's no way that, right, do you think that Peter Alonzo will hit worse than Todd Frazier does in his rookie season? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine. Do you foresee that? Do you foresee Peter Alonzo messing around with 217? No, know, no. I, I, I mean, even if it is, though, I think that you're going to see a little more raw. Like, so Frazier was 115 games, 18 home runs, 176 ISO, 213 average. Like, even if Alonzo, say, maybe a 230 hitter with a low Babbitt because he's hitting too many fly balls or something, um, I still think he posts, like, 25 home runs, even if it's yeah. a 125, 30-game sample, you know? Like, his his po- uh, excuse me his power floor, is what I was trying to say there, is, is pretty high for me, and I think that that is probably the biggest benefit of him. But I, it's interesting because the, the Mets, from my understanding, down at the winter meeting, said that Todd Frazier was their everyday third baseman. Um, Mickey Cowley said in his press conference, and then... They go out and do this, and I guess they like the price of it. Jed Lowry is obviously on the downturn of most aging curves, but um, at the same time, he's produced really well in the last two seasons, and you almost wonder guys who kind of peak a little late, whether they extend their aging curve a little, a little bit and there isn't as sh- sharp of a fall-off. But I don't know. It's weird. I, I, I want to say slight stock down just because of, of the uncertainty for the most part. And in terms of holding Alonzo back, I'm not really sure because this was the weird argument. I remember everyone thought that they were trying to suppress his service time last year but the crux in that was that if you're suppressing Peter Alonso's service time the year you're getting in terms of his age would be like his age 31 season I think yeah which just is is a complete it's a waste for a guy who's a first base only kind of guy you know what I mean like the value of that season can't be you know worth holding him down especially if the Mets thought that they maybe had some shot which they didn't clearly but at the same time maybe maybe that potential year is more valuable than just his his kind of acclimation of 20 games or whatever but but regardless of all of that, yeah, I mean, I guess the infield plays out as like Frazier as a, I, I'd like to say it plays out as Frazier as like a part-time third baseman or, or very, very part-time third baseman. And then Lowry starting there, you got Rosario at short Cano at second. And then I, I want to say Peter Alonso is the starting first baseman on opening day. I would hope to say that, you know, and then basically you have Frazier in like a 90 game role where he's playing off time at third base and off time at first base. And then Alonso is maybe sitting every now and then. Um, it's my guess. And I mean, Jeff McNeil is definitely hurt by this. I say that's the biggest stock down in this. Um, still somewhat of a prospect to some extent. I know he kind of came up last year and posted above two or I think and contributed in a lot of facets of the game, which was pretty impressive. But, but yeah, I, I, I was reading a little bit that they're thinking about playing him a little more in the outfield, which is interesting, I guess, maybe to kind of, again, in another role where he's, I guess he's playing second base, maybe when Cano's not there or however many games they're, they're tagging for Cano, although he's been kind of a relative workhorse for, for a pretty good amount of time, so I can't expect him missing too much games. So then McNeil goes to the outfield and kind of supplants Conforto and Nimmo. I guess that's maybe a little bit of a hedge against possibility. Uh, Conforto goes down with more injuries. Nimmo's been relatively healthy in his career. They have Broxton and Lagares in center now. Um, so I, it's weird. I, I, I really, really resembles what the, what the Dodgers did in terms of adding depth and adding infield depth and just playing with a lot of guys. But 
I feel like at the same time, the Dodgers also had a little more stability in some of the roles. Like they had Justin Turner at third, which was solidified. Maybe their second baseman was a little fluid, but they had a guy like Corey Seager for a while, two years ago, um, when he, before he went down with Tommy John. And, you know, Muncy slotted in there was an everyday first baseman. So there's more stability. I mean, the Mets just seem like they have a lot of options now, per se, as opposed to guys that are entrenched at spots. I think Cano's really the only one that's entrenched. And I think, that, as you said, they have a long leash on Rosario. But... But speaking of up the middle, Jason, do you think this has any implication on Andres Jimenez? This is a two-year deal with Jed Lowry. Obviously, I know you've been a pretty big fan of Jimenez for a while. You were kind of the guy, I think, that turned him on to me, um, actually. I don't think I knew too much about him until you started raving about him. And then I feel like the injury, industry kind of caught up with you. you were, I, I would consider you the first mover on him um, to some extent. So do you think this pushes his timetable at all? Because you have Lowry for two years. He's playing third base. Is it kind of maybe a hedge against Rosario still? But at the same time, I almost feel like they're going to they're gonna play at Rosario probably for a couple of years. So I, I'm going to say stock neutral, obviously, on Jimenez, but you think it pushes his, his uh, debut time potentially? <clears throat> I mean, it could. It could. I mean, there's an outside shot if this kid were to start at double A and Rosario go down and he's hitting that he's the Mets shortstop, mm-hmm. you know, in 2019. So he's really that close. I think what it does is this allows them – time to just let it or at least let Jimenez be a kid right he just turned 20 there's no rush there's no pressure to come up and be the starting second baseman or center fielder or shortstop for the for the New York Mets um, ultimately the guys you know when he's ready he's gonna he's gonna get thrust in there so now they don't have to rush him they can take their time with them I think with Alonzo you know one of the things that think about this from a PR move Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're a Mets fan and you go to opening day and J.D. Davis is the first baseman. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to be a little upset that, hey, we know what J.D. Davis is going to do. We want Alonzo. <clears throat> we want Alonzo. But if you go to opening day with Todd Frazier as your first baseman, I think the chatter for or or. Jeff McNeil as your first baseman. Um, the chatter for Alonzo and the pressure on the front office to what they might consider rush this guy, um, I think is is kind of off their shoulders. I mean, Alonzo, JP and I on this last podcast, it's interesting because we were talking about risk with with players. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an overall future potential grade, and then there's risk attached to it. So, like if you're looking at a top top ten. You know, there might be a guy who's a 70 ranked behind a guy who's a 60. That 70 might be an extreme risk guy. That 60 might be a, a low risk, a, a low risk guy. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> um, I think with Alonzo, it's easy to think, well, he's just, uh, you know, what's the risk? Because the power should play at the major league level. But if you think about like if Peter Alonzo struggles with curveballs, like, you know, in the major leagues, which is what he really struggled with at AAA, um, especially curveballs in the dirt away from him. Uh, you know, there's still some holes in his swing. He's not a he's not a 60 hit tool guy. He's not a 300 hitter. So, <clears throat> if this guy struggles with like a 220 average and and an insane K rate and his defense is a little shaky, which it is, there's nowhere for him to go. Yeah, there's nowhere for him to go. Like that's it. So. I think the Mets, I think this buys them time. Do I think that Alonzo can handle it and do I want to see him handle it right away? Sure. But can I understand also taking a major league player and 
buying time with another guy just to kind of just make sure that, you know, he's ready defensively um, as well as as well as offensively with the hit tool on the curveball. Because here's here's one thing, like on the Scouts Have Eyes podcast, we had a former race scout, Andrew Ray, mm-hmm. from the Rays come on. A great episode. And he made a comment that I hadn't really – I've always loved defense, but this guy basically took my love of defense and turned it up like two or three levels. So I think you see that reflected in how I rank players. But he basically said that a major league team views defense almost equal, if not more, than the hit tool. Like fantasy, we're like, man, hit tool. Yeah, if they can hit, right, we hit. We All we want is hitters. Um, they value defense that much. Peter, Peter Alonzo is kind of an, a fringy defender. So this isn't the – this isn't like I'm – not, I'm not banging the drum for service time here. This isn't like Acuna. No, um, yeah. You know, this isn't like Vlad Jr. last season, which was egregious. Um, so – <clears throat> but I, I do think that there's some there's some holes in Alonzo's game that could get exposed early, and if that does, then you know there's no telling. You know, it, it could first power hitter to come up and struggle, uh, and then people forget about him. So, mm-hmm. no, I agree. Yeah, with that. that's I mean, what I think. But Jimenez, I don't think it affects him at all. Okay. Really, I think when he's ready, when Jimenez is ready, he's going to find a time. He's going to find a spot. Yeah. Or they're gonna, or they're gonna, they're gonna move Rosario. Yeah, that's fair. I think I agree with that for sure. And yeah, and I think that almost to some extent it aligns well. Like the Larry move aligns well with what you're saying about Alonzo. Is like if they find situations where they can match him up, like whether he hits, you know, they get a they get a heavier fastball pitcher, they get a good sinker ball pitcher or something like that, and they know Alonzo can tee that guy up. Like they're gonna be more willing probably to play Alonzo there. And then maybe Larry at third and sit Frazier on a given day, as opposed to a guy, you know, I'm not sure how Frazier is against breaking balls, but say Frazier is like serviceable against breaking balls next year, or historically he's always been serviceable against breaking balls. And you, you're facing a guy like Tukey with a couple pitches, you know, and maybe not as fastball dependent. And uh, that's a situation where I could see Alonzo maybe sitting early. So I don't know. For fantasy, I think it's a little weirder. It just creates a lot of days where you're probably going to want, you hope you're in daily lock leagues, but I, I'm kind of more of a weekly lock kind of guy in terms of, the time commitment and the strategy involved and in, in kind of setting that lineup. So you've been rolling the dice with Lonzo a lot, but I'm still relatively excited to see him. I think we all are very excited to see him at the major league level and see some of those exit velocities off the bat. Um, what do you think this does to McNeil though? Yeah. McNeil, I think he becomes kind of a weird off day Cano guy and also just a platoon outfielder. I was reading that. Pinch I think hitter. They, yeah. Pinch hitter. <clears throat> um, he's weird. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess they, I think it just kind of makes him like the odd guy out. I think he was decent enough, honestly, to like put together 90 games or so and of playing, you know, third base and in, in second and maybe a little bit of outfield on off days for Conforto or Nimmo. But now it just adds another crux. I, I figured his main position would be third-ish to, to, to some extent, you know, with some flips back to second for Cano. But now it's like, who knows, you know, is he going to get yeah. 50, 60 games now? I, I, I don't know. I guess they just want to build their depth out and see what happens. But I, I guess he's like a Kingery kind of guy. Like he could kind of play anywhere. And I guess that's the benefit of him. But in terms of his actual value to any fantasy owner, I, I just think it's almost non-existent at this point, unfortunately. So um, yeah. he's squeezed out. He's the odd guy out here, unfortunately. Well, but you know, if it, it, good defender it, it too. If it makes people feel better, you know, Frazier, Cano, and Lowry are all on the wrong side of 35. Yeah, so there's a good chance someone comes up with an injury, you know? And I Not guess that's what that. they're hedging against. 
not only that, there's no way they run those, try and run those guys out there 162 oh, God, no. games. Cano, you know, these guys with Frazier, they're probably not playing day games after night games. Yep. I'd um, say they're playing like five or six a week, most likely. I yeah. Them. And I made Frazier might even be four, honestly, sometimes. Um, we'll yeah. See. Rosario to me is the only infielder that they're going to, they're planning on penciling in 162. Lowry's yeah. there if they need him. Lowry can do it, can cover if they need it without rushing Jimenez. But, uh, you know, otherwise it's Rosario. Mm-hmm. And I'm and sure they're fine with, you know, doing that and penciling in the plus defense there and just batting him eighth, you know, and just sitting him down there until he starts hitting better. Um, so, and I think, I think he's got a lot of development to do. And I, I, I always like Ahmed Rosario. I think the funniest thing with Rosario, getting in him in particular, Jason, here, I, I've always noticed with him, I remember reading a while ago that, during the future game BP at City Field a couple years ago, that he was displaying like plus power, like plus game power, uh, maybe maybe plus raw, a little bit above. So we'll say sixty. We'll say he was displaying displaying sixty raw, and everyone hoped that the hits will get above average to the point where he actualizes like plus game power. You know what I mean? Like right above average plus game power. And I feel like to some extent that's not really manifested, even in like ex velocities or anything. There's really no <coughs> objective data point to confirm that. There's nothing we can look at and go, oh, yeah, he's definitely a breakout in that category. Yet I continually hear from people like Mickey Callaway, and, of course, that's within the system, and other people, like that, that he does have plus raw and plus game. And I've I just always been perplexed by that because we've never seen it at any point. Do you think this is a guy that puts up like a 22-25 like a home run season eventually? What do you think his power ceiling is? It's hard to say. I mean, he's athletic. He's got bat speed. So you never bet. You never bet against those guys, especially in the long, especially in the launch angle age. Um, I hope so. I just traded Austin Meadows for him straight up in a dynasty. There you um, go. <laughs> so I, I hope he does. Um, I think he can. Um, but he's got a long ways to go, and he's one of those guys too, where the hit tool causes the power to play down right you can have you can nobody cares how far you hit the ball at 4 p.m you know Mm -hmm. i want to know how far you're hitting it at 7 p.m so um the thing with rosario though you mentioned the futures game bp was that two years ago or was that that, i think it might have been was that two years ago was it three let me see i feel like it was two years ago maybe i'm mixing up the field maybe i'm not let me see. I'll, yeah, I'll figure this out. Yeah, I think I it was 2017. I might be getting that mixed up. Let me see. Future. It was in Seattle, wasn't it? No, I don't think. Where was the All Star game? Oh, it was. Was it Miami? That's where yeah, it was. I'm mixing up. Right. Apologies. Yes, because Acuna Field, was in that game. Yep. There you go. Acuna was in that, that was game. 2017. Right. So yeah, Bo and Vlad were in that game. So yep. yeah, 2017. So I can't speak for what happened in BP in 2017, but I can definitely speak for future game futures game bp in 2018 and the game itself those dudes were using major league baseballs yeah it <laughs> was insane home runs dude, like the, nine home runs i remember talking about that on this pod it was crazy. yeah nine home runs but you dude bobby witt bobby witt and riley green were at the high school home run derby going upper deck at nationals park with <laughs> ease and this was timed it was like they had three minutes to do, take as many hacks as they could and these guys were hitting 20, 20. Uh, I think Witt had 25 in a round. Um, Reese Hines had like 25 in a round. I mean, these guys were putting them on the concourse. And then Peter Alonzo, Sully Matias, they come out. They're kind of, you know, that's 
onto over the concourse, just massive balls. Taylor Trammell's going upper deck with ease. Mm. You know, the only person that didn't really hit a shitload of home runs in BP that I can remember that I think would surprise people was Kirilov. He had a few, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, if you watch Kirilov take BP, dude, he's like a technician. He's yep. a, you know, he's just, a, he's surgical with his BP. I saw him BP out in a Midwest league all-star game actually. And I also saw him home run derby. So I saw the, the one shade of Kirilov that was, I'm going to try to hit everything a mile to right center. And he, he hung with Will Benson who's got yeah. legitimately 80 power. And I, I'm comfortable saying that because that guy hits the ball extremely hard, even if it's a 20 hit tool. Like he was hanging with Will Benson, Alex Kirloff, and he was just popping balls. But uh, yeah, he's a, he's a technician. You're 100% right on Kirloff there. I remember watching that. He's like left center, left center, and I'll pull it over to right center. And then he just, he's level swing. I love that kid so much. I know we both love him. But, so uh, I have him in my top five. I have him fifth overall in my top 100. Uh, let me pull mine up. I think I'm right in that window with you. <clears throat> And for me, I'd always said, you know, that probably Royce Lewis should be the top prospect in the system. You know, he's a shortstop. Yep. But I feel like you. I believe I, feel I have like Lewis it, above. Yeah, most people do. And and I love Royce Lewis, but there's just something about Kirilov at the plate. I think Royce Lewis is a more exciting player, but I feel like Kirilov has just the higher floor. I think Kirilov's floor is a 60. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with saying that. And yeah. that's insane. I think he's like a moderate to low risk, like 65 is what I have in that basically. Yeah. I gave you know? him a 70 high risk. I think he can be a okay. seven. I think he, I think he can be, <clears throat> I think he can, he can be that six to seven war player at peak just on, just on his offense alone. And wow. he's, his defense in right field is good enough not to hurt him. And he's got a cannon. Mm-hmm. So, which bounced back after Tommy Johnson, which was really oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just think his floor is so high, even though Lewis is probably the better guy. So you'd put a gun to my head like a month ago and said, "Hey, Lewis or Kirloff, you got to rank them." And I would probably say, "All right, I'm going to take Lewis over Kirloff just because of the athleticism and the shortstop ability and whatnot." But the maybe it's because I miss baseball. <laughs> because you notice that like the 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 less that we have to watch the more we go back and think about what it's we so saw true. and dude I'm the hunter uh, no, I'm the fisherman, and it's like the fish is – it was a, a minnow, and that sucker now – like you talked <laughs> about like it, that sucker's like a, a shark, right? <laughs> and so I kind of think that I might be doing that with some of the guys that I really like. and, and yeah. I, I noticed that not. as well, I have to say. I noticed that when I was doing my top 100. So I- Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. I have Kirloff eight and I have Royce Lewis seven overall, both 65s. Um, so right in that same vicinity. Um, and uh, I think that lines up probably with where most people I hope have both those guys. But uh, 
But yeah, I mean, I noticed that as well. Going through my top 100, we could transition right now into this top 100 talk. Yeah, I noticed that. Like, I was looking at guys like Christian Robinson and Jazz Chisholm. We were talking about with JP earlier. Um, who else was I looking at? Brian Rocchio is another one. Uh, Cole Rodier. Like, just these kind of guys that I know had upticks at the end of the year. And I'm sitting there making this ranking, and I'm just like, can I squeeze these guys? I guess on Rocchio and, and Rodier, can I squeeze them into my top 100 and then look smart on the off chance that this guy's like has a huge stock uptick and is like a top 50 guy next year. You know what I mean? But at the same yeah. time, it's like, or do I go with guys like Griffin Canning, super high floor? Dane Dunning, I think super high floor. Like Basabe, I think is a relatively high floor in terms of what he's going to be as an outfielder, even if it isn't a full-time guy. And, you know, I just keep looking at that and I'm like, it's tough. You know, this is like the balancing game. I feel like I'm doing like a Hall of Fame ballot where I know some people yeah. are going to vote guys in. So it's like, do I leave this guy who I know should be a top 100 guy off just to get a guy in that I like? You know, it's funny. It's oh, really yeah. Funny. It's so for me, my kind of process with with this top 100 list is I don't care about fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, I went real. Life I don't. As well. mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not going to – you want me to help your fantasy team? I'm going to give you real-life advice because what what I ask myself at a game is, you know, if I'm looking at a guy, it's it's two things. The first is, is this the best that I'm seeing? Is this the absolute ceiling right here? Um, and if if it's not, how much more is left, right? Then it's, do I think this guy can be a major leaguer? And if the answer is no – then, I mean, yeah, he might be in a team's top 30 because here's, here's the secret. Uh, front offices don't have top 30s like that. They, they have guys that they heavily invested money in. Mm-hmm. They get long leashes. And then there's a lot of guys that are paid to go play catch with those guys. Now, don't get me wrong, right? They're still working their asses off to develop those guys just as hard. But those guys that with the signing bonuses get longer leashes than the guys that don't sign for for too much, right? Those guys that don't sign for much, they have to ball out right away, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> or be or be flashing. They have to be flashing plus tools right away. The guys, you know, like a Logan Warmoth, he's going to get a longer leash because he's a first round pick, even though he shouldn't. Yeah. Even though he's not even, I mean, you could make a case he's not, shouldn't even be in their top 30. So I look at guys and I say, can they be in the majors? And if they can, then what role are they, are they just a backup? Are they, are they a starter? Are they a first or second division regular? Are they an all-star? And so for me, I, I ended up, I, you know, I, I value defense and, and I value not proximity. Don't get me wrong, not proximity, but I value that, that ability to, to, I can, I can paint that picture of you being in the majors. But when I'm, I'm doing this list, it's, it's sprinkled in. I got high risk, extreme guys, 70 extremes and 50 lows, right? Mm -hmm. You know, those high floor guys like Madrigal sprinkled in with, with guys like Jazz Chisholm and Vidal Brujan. And I think I might have Madrigal separating those two. Um, yeah, that's a really good test case right there, especially because you know, we're talking about. I mean, Jazz is shortstop, but Brujan's second baseman, Madrigal's second baseman. That's a really good test case because Madrigal is, I mean, he could play in the major leagues, I think, probably right now and probably be a positive four guy with good defense, good base running. And, you know, maybe not the, the 70 hits will many people envision, but right around there, you know. And then Brujan's a guy who's, what, did he jump up to high at the end of last year? Yeah, and, uh, and then his power spikes. Around. 
Yeah, and his power spike. And he's like a he's yeah. super volatile though, you know? Like he comes out next year and his power's there. He can come out next year and shoot into the top twenty, I think, very feasibly, you know. And same thing with so Jess for Chisholm. Me, yeah. so well in the AFL. We were just talking to JP. He's K, K rate went down from Jess Chisholm to seventeen percent in his sample in the AFL, which is about a twelve percent, thirteen percent drop from what he was posting um in uh, high A in the Cali so, and in uh in uh King County in the Midwest League. Yeah, yeah. So whoops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're fine. Got excited. <laughs> so uh so check this out. So those three guys, I think that's like the perfect example of, of projection versus ceiling versus floor and projection. How does projection fit? <clears throat> so for me, I saw Bruhan hit probably three of the four home runs or five home runs that he hit in like a 20 game, 30 game span in high A. Um, I saw double plus bat speed. I saw launch and natural, natural loft in the swing. I saw a guy who's wiry strong, right? He's not a big guy either. Neither, neither of these guys are big guys. I don't know. Size had nothing to do with this grouping here for me. Um, but I'm looking at Bruhan and Bruhan, he'll give some at bats away. There is some swing and miss, but overall, He's got really exceptional barrel control to go with plus bat speed. And I've seen him make in-game adjustments on pitchers um, and, and, and like make his at-bats get better as he, as he adjusts to that pitcher. So I've seen him do that. Now, that's what like a guy like Madrigal is known to do, but I don't think Madrigal is anywhere close to the athlete. And this is saying something. I don't think he's anywhere close to the athlete that Vidal Brujan is. And I don't think that he has the projection right? He's a college kid. He's kind of is what he is. He could probably change the swing and add some loft like Altuve. And I think that's what a lot of people, a lot of people really are hoping that he becomes Pedroia and Altuve Mm -hmm. and not, you know, someone else that we don't care about. Right. So there's risk in that, but in order for him just to be what, like what I think it's close to his ceiling, I give him a 50, right? But I give that low risk where I gave Vidal Bruhan a 60 in high risk. So I had Bruhan and, and, and then I had Madrigal and then I had Chisholm uh, underneath them. And for Chisholm, there is the K-rate issues, right? You brought up before 33%, 30% plus K-rate in, in A-ball. <clears throat> we love the power speed. Um, you know, he is raw. He's just super twitchy, and, and I think that's what you fall in love with when you see him, just how quick twitchy he is. Um, there is power. He could be a 25-25 guy, but, you know, he's got to shore up that swing a little bit uh, in order to be that guy, and there's some risk there. So I think that Chisholm has a higher ceiling than Madrigal, but I feel like Chisholm is like an extreme risk. I gave him a 60 extreme. So I think that's a, that's a scenario where I went – kind of how I try and put those floor guys around guys with projection. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're spot and, on there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. I almost envision a little bit of, of, uh, I was actually just watching tape of, uh, the swing that I, I see and in Jess Chisholm is actually in Drelton Simmons, um, in terms of how he's pumping his hands. He just kind of like a double pump. Uh, and I, it was actually louder. It was probably like the barrel movement was just almost disgusting. And when he was, a instructs like three years ago i think i was looking at youtube video and uh he's cleaned it up a lot and i like that but i still think it's i still think it's a little bit noisy i still think it's something that's going to get eaten up especially on balls a little bit up and in um which most guys are going to have problems with especially if they're not extending too far or anything but his hands are quick i think he can get around to most pitches i just 
I I wonder if he's just a free swinger. Um, you know, he's he's low low walk rate, high K rate. So it kind of just seems like that. It doesn't really seem like a pitch recognition thing or just a contact thing. Maybe it is pitch, pitch recognition to some extent, but he seems to almost have uh, alleviated a lot of those concerns in the AFL to the point where, you know, JP and other scouts that JP was talking to are, are, are super in on him and, and were gushing about him. Whereas I saw him in a home run derby and I saw him out in King County and I liked him. I thought he was fine, but I didn't envision him as like a 60 guy. You know what I mean? 60 future value. I see him more as kind of like 50. I think I have him low 55 right now. Um, just because of the upside, I think it's substantial. And the fact that I do think he can stick at shortstop, I think his fielding is average and he's got a good arm. Um, maybe a little above average on the fielding. So, I mean, he's so JP had him. JP had him in his first draft. It was twenty second. He gave him a sixty high. So yeah. that's really kind of the difference between, you know, a sixty high and a sixty extreme. Could theoretically be twenty to twenty five spots on one of these lists, which yeah. are one hundred percent subjective, but. And and when we were comparing our list, it was interesting. We had a lot of guys like I might be 65 high and he was 60, 60 moderate. So we're kind of saying the same thing, except that I think that athleticism might, you know, tweak that might push that grade up a bit. If, if the other tools uh, sort themselves out. So we talked about that with a lot of players Mm -hmm. as well. And it's, it's, I think the main thing with these lists is when you're writing them, you just have to remember that, uh, this is for fun. People yeah. just enjoy reading them. Um, they're easily they're easy to digest. Um, you know they are a resource as well. Um, I think as long as you can back up where you're coming from, you know, with sound logic, then then you know for the most part, you know, people should be able to kind of take that information and then make an informed decision on it to help their to help their teams. Even even a top one hundred that we're writing, which is defense weighs quite a bit um, yeah. on that. So like one guy, for example, let's talk about Kebrian Hayes. Ooh, I know you want to talk about Kebrian Hayes. We've, we have Hayes. not talked about <laughs> Kebrian Hayes yet. I don't think. Maybe we did on the Pirates podcast. I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I forgot what we talked about. Let's talk about Kebrian oh, Hayes. I think that – <clears throat> so I'm a big fan of guys like Christian Pache – that have the and 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 Jake Rogers that have like the plus defense attached to them that that defense is going to to put them in the starting nine and they're going to have they're going to have regular at bats and even if it's in the eight hole and they're going to have a crazy long leash I'd be remiss if I didn't include Hayes right along in there I don't think his defense at third base is on the same level of what Pache is bringing in center field yeah, no. which is center which field is, is insane yeah which is Andrew Jones like yeah. so so yeah we're talking an 80 grade center fielder with 70 arms 70 speed I, I'm, I'm writing something up on Pache we'll talk about him later but uh with Hayes Hayes and Pache are, are, are similar in that both guys had good barrel control. Both guys were known as hit tool guys with plus defense. And it defense was going to carry the profile. And if the and if the, the hit tool could develop and maybe some power could come, then watch out. You could take them seriously. Right? But they were gonna be decent prospects, even if the power never showed up. Both these guys have made a concerted effort to add some loft to the ball. They're hitting line drives with carry. They're making hard contact. Um, so 
if Hayes is that plus defender and I think he's trending the same way as Pache, then it's like, you know what? I got to bang the drum. I got to start banging the drum for him. I've been negligent in that because he's been in double A. He hasn't been down in Florida with me. So in the off season, we don't have nothing to think about. We start thinking about these guys and it's like, man, I really like him, man. I really, really like him. If you're telling me that Cabrian Hayes could be Matt Chapman. Yeah. Is, I mean, is, let me ask you this is, is top is, is 19th or 18th overall too low. If you think that there's a chance he's Matt Chapman. I mean, if you think there's a chance he's Matt Chapman, I, I don't think 19 is too low. I believe I presently have him. Let me confirm this. I have him 26 right now on my list. I have him as a, uh, I don't think I, I don't have risk attached, but I have him as a 60. And I believe that's what I graded him out as on my Pirates top 30 as well. Matt Chapman was a plus base runner, plus plus defender. He was a six and a half war guy last year, 278. Uh, was walking 10% <clears> of the time, <throat> above average OVP and 24 home runs. So, Dude, that's, that's Hayes. I think I think the homers might be a little aggressive, and I think this gets back to what we were saying in terms of projecting out that power. Because it might I think take him a while. It might. It's going to yeah, take him a while. That's the thing. Because not it's, right away. It's a really, really simple swing. It's it's like a small sub thigh leg kick, but it's beautifully timed. There's a small drift back of his hands. His barrel tip is super quiet, and there's enough bat speed there where it's just it's a really nice, simple up off his shoulder and swings, and he gets the balls. He was hitting unbelievable. He's like a 290 hitter everywhere he's gone with reasonable babips too. Like he's like a 344 BABIP guy at double A last year, high A in 2017. He was 331 with a 278 average. It's I have it as a 60 hit tool. I think he could probably end what up was his 65. ISO? He was, what was ISOing. His ISO last so double A was 151. It jumped up what a lot. What was it in 2017? 0.86. 0.0. Yeah, see, dude, in 2017, man, he was wide in the box. There yep. was minimal leg kick. He was just kind of like, uh, you know, just, just throwing the hands at the ball out yep. on his front foot. Um, poor weight shift, no lower half to his swing. And he started, he started getting a little bit more upright and adding that leg kick. And to me, when, when guys with plus hit tools kind of start trying to learn to hit home runs, not every, not everybody's Vladdy and Juan Soto that can just, or or Acuna that are just born to hit home runs. Um, some of these kids, you know, it's going to take them a little bit. They get, if the hit tools there, sign me up with plus defense. I think that I don't think Chapman was known for being uh, I kind of feel like Chapman was known for having plus game power and yep. and it was maybe a fringy hit tool. Yep. No, to I go with that. With that. Yep. And so that's why he was always it seemed like he was always in the 90s of every top 100 I read. I feel like I remember it that way in the 90s. And <clears throat> I think that I don't think people value that defense enough or that the fact that all right if this guy just if he just makes contact enough he walks enough to save the batting average right mm-hmm. if he walks enough to stave off over fours then you know if the hit tool comes around and he starts hitting for home runs you know what's his war going to be i think yeah. he's kind of like set that benchmark for 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 some of these prospects because unlike arenado he didn't do it in colorado and you know there, you know, that, that matters a little bit. Um, you know, Oakland's not an easy place to hit, so he still did it. You know, I think, I think if Matt Chapman were coming through now, I think hit tool power wise, you know, who he reminds me of hit tool power, Hudson Potts or Hudson Potts reminds me of Matt Chapman, yeah. hit tool power. I can see but, that. 
Hudson Potts, I think, is is a good enough defender to stick at third base. I think he's too. Where he's Chapman, too. Yeah. Yeah. Chapman is the one of like the, the gold standards. He's an 80. That's yeah. what you measure by. So <clears throat> if I think that Hayes can be close to that, dude, this is steal. Draft yeah. this guy now. Go trade for him. He's Get a, him now. He's by stock. I've always been a fan. I've been a fan, I think, on this podcast, too. Some of the first ones me and Ralph did way back. And I, I got the chance to see him this year, actually, before I, I came out to Chicago against uh, Hartford. And, yeah, he, he was great. He just he did everything I wanted him to do. He was quiet in the box. He took pitches. He, he saw the zone really well. He doesn't swing and miss that much. It's just it's everything you want. He turned on, I think, like a, I think it was like a 1-1 fastball, just middle-middle, just quick down the line. He wasn't trying to do too much with it. And I was just like – I love the hit tool. I think it's a. I think it's. I think it's plus, and I think that that at the end of the day is going to push him to be just a fantastic guy. He's like, he's just going to be a, one of those guys where you look at and nothing is too sexy, but it's the war at the end of the day is going to be like three to four. It's going to be really consistent. It's going to have a high floor, and if he taps into any bit of power, you're pushing him up into four or five easy in terms of that. Because if he if he hits twenty two home runs and he's hitting two seventy and he's plus defense. And I think he's a f- probably like a fringe average runner. Or they actually have him. I think he's actually a little bit quicker. Um, might be slightly above average. I, I didn't have a stopwatch at the time when I was seeing Cabrian. But, so I'll, I'll reserve judgment on speed. But he's, say he's neutral, neutral base runner plus defense plus offense. Like, I'm in love with it, you know? And even for fantasy leagues, I think there's value there. If he's non-zero in stolen bases, say he's stealing like 6-7 a year, and he's, he's hitting 15 home runs, but he's got average, he turns into like a... Third base is a little weird. Maybe maybe out of the gate in fantasy, that that standard for third baseman is a little different if you're looking at top-round guys like Arenado and Bryant and all these others. But you lay around guy and Chris Bryant, you could flip into utility and hope that the power turns around on eventually because the kid's 21 years old right now. He's probably going to debut at the age of 23, I would guess. That's, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. And I, I've always been a big Cabrian Hayes guy just from the structure of the swing. It seemed very, very simple what he needed to do to add some loft, and he did it. Got his fly ball rate up to 43%. That's a 10% jump year over year from 2017 to 2018. Dropped the line drives a little bit, but the kid's good enough. Even if that bad bit falls down a little and he's 280, 270, I'm all about it. Big Cabrian. You, I, think, I think the trajectory with him, I think he probably gets a cup of coffee next year. I think he comes up midseason next year because <clears throat> he'll be at AAA. Um, I th- think that in 2020, what you'll see, I don't think you see 20 home runs yet. I think he's going to be one of those 40 double, yes, 15 exactly. home run, 40 double, 15 home run guys. And he's, you know, I think people will sleep on him a little bit. Um, and it, that might be him for like a couple years. And then I think the power, I think 25 home runs is definitely within that bat within that, within that body. Especially these Absolutely. major league baseballs, dude. He's going to crush these major league. The only concern I might have is Pittsburgh is rough on righties, you mm-hmm. know. But he can ma- he can make it up in Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> he I'm can make it up in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's a guy that I that I really I think that <clears throat> scouting kind of gives you the context that if you're just reading fantasy stuff, you're not going to get that on Hayes. You're going to wait for someone to, to notice a trend in fly ball rate and, and power, you know, but I remember seeing this guy in extended spring training and talking to scouts and they were like, dude, Hayes, Hayes added a leg kick. He's more upright now. He's trying to hit the ball in the air. Watch out this year. Yeah. You know, I remember hearing that in spring training and, and, uh, I've just followed him all, all season in double a and, uh, he's just, he's checking off that box, right? 
that is the that is the next step, right? The next step is is consistent game power. Like a guy like Christian Pache that I mentioned before, he's still like his hit tool <clears throat> is still very raw. It's not nowhere close as Hay uh, to Hayes's hit tool, um, but he still has that barrel control. So you look at the K rate, and the K rate doesn't look bad. You know, but that's because he's he makes a lot of contact, and it's not always good contact, um, because and and what I mean is he just he's swinging at too many pitches, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of tapped into what you've seen in his game power. But then this kid's still a couple tweaks to his approach, a couple tweaks to his swing, more focus on the lower half, and he hit nine home runs and and nearly doubled his career ISO. Um, he he had more extra base base hits this season than he had had in his minor league career, um, mm-hmm. and so people are low on him. I hear it all the time. Oh, in a real life list, yeah, you rank him high, but in a fantasy list, you don't rank him that high, dude. That's ridiculous. Half the guys you have over him are not even going to be as close to a good a player as that he could be. That's so, a good point. <clears throat> so if you look at what he's doing, <clears throat> excuse me, he's checking off those boxes, right? The numbers don't look good. You, you hear stuff like, oh, what about his walk rate? He doesn't walk enough. Maybe, just maybe, the fact that he was signed as a kid with an advanced approach, that the Braves said, all right, look, we want you to to try and focus, do what you do, but try and use that lower half more. Um, his his Funny, Lance, his ground ball rates stayed about the same at about 50% from mm-hmm. 2017 to 2018. His fly ball rate only went up like uh, a couple ticks, seven percent. Not really substantial, like you would think for this guy to have like no extra base hits. Then all of a sudden, you know, nine nine bombs as a teenager. Uh, but if you look at like his fly ball distance, mm-hmm. he was well over three hundred feet average. He was probably like three. I think he was in like three oh five, maybe three ten average fly ball distance. And the year before. He was below 300. Yeah, he was in like the two, the two, the high 290s. So that just goes to show you that a little bit of tweak to the lower half, uh, an 18 year old kid working out all season and then turning 19 and still getting stronger, a little bit more experience, and this is this is what what's not to like there. Yeah, at and 19 and double A, like think- what what? Why would you think, or why would anyone think? That next season, it's not within the realm that he hits 300 with 15 home runs between Double A AA and Triple A. That's huge, yeah. Especially and with think his about speed. this, right? And think about this: What if the Braves told him, "Go out and be aggressive at the plate"? There's a lot of here's a, here's another thing that like you don't always learn until it's too late. People love walk rate on prospects. A lot of that walk rate is due to passivity at the plate. That's true for sure. It's a He's, combination you know, of a lot of things: pitch recognition, simple ability to make contact, knowledge of the zone. Yeah, like right. Look at Vlad Junior's walk rate. Vlad Junior to me has like the perfect walk rate. Yeah, what is he like? Thirteen, fourteen percent, or a little higher? Pull maybe? it up. Yeah, pull it up. It's it's not high. He's it's not it's not a it's a it's enough. It's enough He's that 12, at nineteen, twelve yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. It's enough at nineteen years old. To where you think, okay, this kid knows this kid is either this kid knows knows how to pick up spin 
or people don't want to pitch to him. Mm. And uh, are you telling me that you want Vlad Jr. not swinging the fucking bat? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Excuse right? me, he was, he was so, 12% triple A, 8% double A. But the, yeah, are you, the striker rate's 8% like... 8% in double A. Yeah. 8% in double A. With a 10% K rate, yeah. He's just like... Yeah, a, so... Man. So you're telling me you want Vlad Jr. to just go up there and stand up there and maybe take four pitch? No, I want him swinging the bat. Mm. The yeah. walk rate is important if it's mature takes. If it's not mature takes, if guys are just like missing the zone and uh, these are easy takes, if these guys aren't spitting on, on O2 curveballs in the dirt, you know, you can't always judge a guy by his walk rate. You just can't, you know, and especially in, in, in rookie ball, man, half these pitchers can't even come over the zone. These are easy walks. So I always get a chuckle when people say, what about his walk rate? I'd I'd rather him swing the bat. And if, and if he's going to try and hit more balls in the air and try and launch more balls, then swing the big difference between Pache and someone like Vlad though. Here's the big difference. Vlad doesn't chase. And Pas- Pache, Pache expands. See, that's that's yeah, the thing. You look at the, Pache's yeah. K rate, it's still respectable, right? It's still respectable. It's not Vlad Jr.-like, but it's still respectable. Yeah. But that's, he that's swings huge. everything. That's the, that's the thing. It's like there's there's balances of it. You can be an aggressive hitter. You could be like a low K, low walk hitter that's aggressive and just puts the bat on the ball early. You see a lot of those. Like Madrigal's a guy like that probably. Madrigal's not yeah. probably taking a lot of pitches. He swings at everything. You know? He swings yeah. at everything. And then, I mean, you almost you could almost infer that to some extent with Vlad. But at the same time, Vlad's just probably looking for a specific pitch in a specific spot. And when he sees it, he just has an innate ability to hammer it. Whereas Pache is, is Pache is like, he's aggressive, but at the same time, he's probably not the best at recognizing the spin off the plate. So he's chasing some of those. No. But what he's going to do is he's going to stumble into a lot of balls that he could square up because he's got really good hands and he's got some pop, you know, even if it doesn't manifest in ISO and some other things. But, you know, I, I don't know. There's a real balance with that. And I think that, it kind of comes with the territory of a guy who's volatile. It's like, I'd I'd be really interested in a player development perspectives, uh, player development front office guys take on it, you know, whether they give guys green lights on pitches and this and that, and whether they want to tinker with that at all to see results and see what's the best profile for a kid, like be really interested in that. So I think, I think it depends on the player. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Now I don't have, I don't have any, this is, this is, this is speculation, but I, I, I think I've been to enough games to where I, I have pretty much a good idea of what's going on. And I've seen a lot of players not change when they need to change and wonder, why isn't someone fixing this guy? Um, let's look at, <clears throat> I don't know, the player that I'm thinking about is Ryan Noda from the Blue Jays. I don't know why Ryan Noda, I'm going <laughs> to compare Ryan Noda and Christian Pache. All right, so... No, let's compare Drew Waters and Christian Pache, okay. all right? All right, let's do that. So because uh, they're a little bit closer, but I think – so there's a lot that I don't like. Drew Waters is swings at everything too. He doesn't walk. He doesn't want to walk. He, he's, got a, he's got more swing and miss than Pache. But Pache spent spring with the Braves, with the big league club this past year. Mm-hmm. He and William Contreras were the only, as far as I know, the only position players that were in big league camp. And um, that was, I think, to be around the Braves hitting instructors. They, I think what happened was the, the, the organization knew, all right, these kids have plus raw power, premium raw power. We got to tweak that. We got to get them. 
we got to get them in the in the in the Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies mode of launch, baby. We got to teach them this. We got to get them doing this. And so their directives might be: All right, you go out, you be aggressive. Don't worry about your batting average. Don't worry about strikeouts. Don't worry about walks. You learn how guys are pitching to you. And if it comes over, and if it comes over the plate, you let it rip. First pitch fastballs, let it rip. Pache swings at the first pitch all the time. A guy like Drew Waters, he's not necessarily getting that same instruction in minor league camp that Pache is getting in major league camp, right? Mm-hmm. And so now I don't doubt that he won't be invited this spring. He's kind of following Pache's trajectory, even though they're the same age. They're kind of trending along the same path, with the exception of Waters having more pop at a, you know, at uh, at the same age, <clears throat> but. Waters, it, it might be, you do your thing. You do what got you here. And we're not gonna we're not gonna mess with you. We're not gonna mess with you until the stat line says that we need to mess with you, until the approach says that we need to mess. But otherwise, we're just gonna let you do what you do. And you see that a lot in the lower levels of the minors. Just guys can what got you signed, you do that until it fails. Yeah, that's a very good point. And that you goes that for like string fails. swing structurally too. And we see this with yeah. Kyle Tucker. I know this was always brought up with him at higher levels. It's like, it's a funky swing. It's like when you adjust it, it's like, well, you adjust it when he fails and he didn't fail. Yeah. You know, he failed yeah, at the major failed. league level. So that I mean, doesn't count though. So did yeah, Trout yeah. his first cup of coffee. That's very, People very forget true. that. Yeah. You know, That's Trout was it. Yeah. Trout hit two. T- these guys, man, people think it kills me. People think that these guys are you know, are, are, are overhyped or bust in like 20 game samples because they don't go all Yasiel Puig and just murder everybody. Yeah. It's, it, you know, pump the, pump the fucking brakes for a second with some of the expectations on these guys. And, you know, it's a process, let them get better, give them, you know, give them that long enough leash. And I think that most of these guys, depending on the situation, like what happens with Tucker now? Right. Can you the Astros are in win now, but he doesn't even have a spot. So what what more does he need to do at triple A? And so if you're not going to triple A, if you're not going to give him that long leash to to fail at the major league level, then I think I think you got to flip him. You got to put him on the block now. To me, the Brantley signing says the Brantley signing says he's got to go because they're not willing to give him that leash for whatever reason. They're not, they're not willing to hand the keys over to him. And I think that says something too, right? Because we've seen rookies come up with contenders and, and just get plugged right in. And so I don't know, maybe Houston knows something that we don't, or maybe they just, he's still young enough. Maybe it's just like, let's just wait one more year. Yeah. It's, or it's a maybe weird he's one. going to Miami for Rio Muto. Yeah. But they stole Torino's though. So it's, it becomes a weirder right. situation of like, well, who else are they, maybe they going for? on the available side. It's like, I, I mean, but also then you look at the team and you go, well, where do they need help? You guys catch her, yeah. but you already signed Chirinos. Do you want to go like Rio Muto 130, Chirinos 30? That seems like a waste of Chirinos, you know? Chirinos could yeah. catch 140 games probably, you know? Like he's kind of that hedges mold to some extent. I don't know if he's, I don't think he's that great defensively, honestly, but um, I think he's still like an everyday catcher. He's, he's a strong side platoon catcher if, if this is the way that catchers are going. Yeah, he's been a plus defender um, last three, four years. Torino so yeah I mean it's interesting I really don't know what they're gonna do with Cal Tucker I guess he just hold him in AAA again but ugh, it's weird it's a really weird scenario maybe maybe is this the year Reddick falls off 
Maybe he's slotting could to be. right. You it know? could be. Maybe maybe Brantley. Maybe Brantley. It's it's just all right. We we want this guy. We one we want to keep him away from everyone else. Two, he can help us. But you know he hasn't been like a a, a model of durability. You know, in True. his no, in his career. Yeah. yeah. So you know, maybe you keep Tucker, and it's just like all right. We're gonna we're gonna play him, but he, we're just not gonna hand him the the keys to the lineup. He's gonna yeah. he's gonna play 70, 80, 90 games. He's gonna pinch hit. He's gonna come off the bench. He'll spend some time in AAA, and uh, and when we need him, you know, we'll have him. Mm-hmm. It's better than trading him. I could think of not having him. Right? <laughs> if something agree, happens yeah. to either Reddick <laughs> or Brantley, yeah, it's it, it's a good problem to have. It, yeah, it's a good problem to have, and I think that. You know, we get excited about these prospects, and we th- we we dream big on them, and we think, all right, they're going to step right in, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. And so, when it when I tie this all the way back into my process, right, of of ranking these guys, who's actually going to be major leaguers? You know, that's it's not as cut and dry as you would think. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think Tucker's the prime example. You know, well, why not Alex Verdugo? Why not? Is it because they're on winning teams? You know, is that the only thing that it's not talent? It's, it's not something that we don't know about. Is it, is it just because there's no opportunity and they're on a winning team? And so they're just going to end up in, in development hell. <laughs> That's a good way yeah. To I don't, I don't know how you answer that yeah. question, but you know, it's, it's, you know, we, we would have thought Kyle Tucker would, would be a rookie of the year candidate. Right. And I think everyone's kind of low on him now, not so much that he struggled, but that he struggled and then they went out and signed Brantley. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, they don't, clearly they don't think he's ready to hand, hand the keys over. So. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> I think that it's, brings it's, us, yeah, it's that crazy. Brings, us, brings us full circle here. Um, and, uh, we're about at the hour mark, so I think we're good, Jason, in terms of fulfilling our Rasball commitment, so to speak. We did but it. We did it. It was a lot of fun. Good to chat through this. We um, did it without Ralph. Nets. We did it without Ralph, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us. Uh, Rasball.com, as always, check out their site. Check out all the stuff that's going through. Gray should have his ranking ups. rankings up relatively soon. I know Andy has come over from Fantrax along with Ralph, and they're doing the baseball show. They've done a bunch of player segments, all video, that are all fantastically done, and I, I've enjoyed a lot of them. Josh James, I know they've done a bunch of other guys too. And uh, check those out. Those are on the front page of Rasball.com. And uh, Prospects Live, this podcast is powered by that, of course. Check us out at Prospects Live on Twitter, prospectslive.com. We have our top 100 list coming out next week, the week of, I believe that'll be about January 14th or so. Um, it'll be right in that window there. We have Padres list, which I've been working on for a while. That's coming out next week as well. So next week is going to be a huge week. I know a lot of other top 100s are dropping, but we hope you guys jump over to Prospects Live and check out ours. Put a lot of time into it, put a lot of thought into it. Jason's put a lot of thought into it. So is everyone, and we're, we're super amped to kind of get this out and get eyes on it and you know get the feedback off. And I'm also really excited to do that pod with everybody on Prospects Live and talk through the top 100. I think that'll be a fun hour or so to kind of just hash our thoughts out and maybe maybe throw some shade at other individuals uh, if, if someone has a higher on someone than everyone else or whatever. I think that'll actually be really fun, Jason, to see who's high on a specific guy, you know? Like, oh, you're 20 spots yeah. higher on. That'll be really fun. So we can kind of tag ourselves as the the guys on certain players. So, again, Prospects Live at Razzball. Thanks, as always. Jason at the game is his Twitter handle. Mine is Lance, B-R-O-Z, on Twitter. Check us out and enjoy the rest of your night, week, year, whatever. Come back and check us out next week. Thank you. Take care. Mm-hmm.